The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Told y'all before it was supposed to the bow. Nothing but the repeat with Wentz back on the throne. All we do is set trends, so you know what we own. Yep, I'm back with the remix. It's fourth and John. All birds, all Philly, midnight green. Things changing for the better since we got that ring. Put the league on notice. We're not done. 2019, we adding another one. Yeah, you heard me right on every Tuesday night. Eight to ten birds of a feather got that flight. Nothing but the hot takes. Back with the big facts for the Fans by the fans, exactly where we at. Pull up to the tailgate, stop by F1. Baptized by the Pope, been bass for everyone. Flying in from the West Coast, even overseas. Get blessed by Ginger Jesus, we disciples of the tree. E-A-G, wait, C-H-M-P. S, don't stress, we on the same conquest. Dominate the division, destroy the NFC, conquer the AFC. Grab that Vince Lombardi, which to AJ. Clem it up the gut, be grand with the strip sack. This sound familiar, huh? Agalor on the slot, Sproles with the return, Mills with the pick six, okay, wait, it gets worse, J train on the run, J.E. hitting from 60, Fletcher C in that D-line, that's what you don't want to see, Herbs catching tubs, foes on another level, the Super Bowl ain't the only time you see that Philly special, we live from Broad Street, brotherly loves the heartbeat, hungry dogs run faster and we don't eat cheap, no one likes us and we don't care, cause we from Philly and we ain't never scared, look up. But I just gotta know one thing. Are you ready? No, I said, are you ready? What's up, Philadelphia? We are live, all that good stuff. Uh, welcome to 4th and John, episode number 77. We're just going to get right into it, all right, boys and girls. This has been an incredibly tough season to digest as an Eagles fan. I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody here in the room. I don't want to speak on behalf of any Eagles fans listening at home. But I think we can all agree that this season, coming off of a Super Bowl, 
hasn't gone exactly the way we had all hoped. This is a tough season to digest. And by that, I mean tough like day-old Taco Bell after a night of binge drinking type of stuff to digest. It has just been a disaster. It has been a tough pill to swallow that last game against the Dallas Cowboys. And I've spent the last 48 hours completely recalibrating my expectations for the remainder of this season. How could you not? How could you not now look at the Philadelphia Eagles in a little bit different of light than he did coming off of the bye? I mean, after that game, they went into Sunday night football at home, coming off of a bye with two weeks to prepare against an NFC East opponent, knowing full well you need to win the division to get into the playoffs, knowing full well that you can effectively end the Cowboys season and knock off a potential NFC East contender. Coming into the game with the league's second-best run defense, and you let Zeke Elliott, that bearded belly shirt Ewok, break off 151 yards against you. Is this what we're doing now? Is this it? Damn it. You let Dak Prescott put up his best completion percentage of the year, his second-highest passing total of the year, and no turnovers to speak of. That is a tough pill to swallow, and that pill's name is reality. I'm not one of those negative fans that are going to tell you that the season's over and doom and gloom, but even me, the most positive Eagles fan, now has to take a look at the, what happened against the Dallas Cowboys and completely refigure my expectations on what's to come for the remainder of the season. But wait, it gets worse, because now we got to go down to New Orleans against a team that's putting up the league's highest points per game total, a team who is giving up the fewest amount of sacks in the NFL, and we're likely to be without our top three corners who might as well be named Hurt, Herder, and Hurtiest. I mean, it has been an absolute disaster. We are staring four and six directly down the barrel. I'm not a thoughts and prayers kind of guy. It's a nice gesture, but when somebody's going through a tough time, thoughts and prayers don't do ugat. But guys, if you want to send thoughts and prayers to the Philadelphia Eagles for what they got to go down to New Orleans and try to accomplish that, I don't know, screw it, maybe that might help. This season for the Eagles has been the Markel Fultz free throw shot season, if I can ever remember one, because it's just tough to watch. It's awkward to see. Why is it? It's not supposed to look like that. We're not supposed to be this team coming off of a Super Bowl, but yet here we are. Gail Saunders, Mr. Eagle Sessions on Twitter. I know you got a lot to say about that loss. In uh, Coming off that loss at Lincoln Financial Field against the Dallas Cowboys. How you doing tonight? Not doing good. I, I think this this Philadelphia, la- this last loss uh, made me sick, bro. Like, literally sick. I've been sick for the last couple days. Uh, could it be the stress, maybe? Us Eagle fans were sold, to, uh, sold, sold this... Uh, New norm, uh, and this 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 new norm, I do not like it at all. Uh, when, when you think about this team, they you know, sometimes they say uh, you are what you repeatedly do. Uh, right now, this is a struggling football team, underperforming. The the head coach is underperforming. A team that used to be strong at home <laughs> has lost three straight games at home. A team that is struggling to score points, and you you. 
you, you look at the person, Peterson, Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, get your act together, bro. Because right now, you know, you want, you want, to, get, you want to start on the, on the good foot every game. Right now, this team is last in average points per, scored uh, in the first quarter. 32nd in the league, 2.3 points per game. Last year, 6.6 points per game, I mean, uh, per quarter. So right there, I mean, you, you, you're putting this team in a bad situation defensively. The, the defense is out there way too long. If you look at this last game, we didn't get our first touchdown until two minutes into the uh, two minutes before the uh, fourth quarter, uh, in, in, in an offense that is struggling in the in the first half, Doug, you can't pass up points. You can't pass up uh, field goals when when they're in range. If you're going to call two basic 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 ass plays on third and short and, and fourth down, if you want to give this team some identity, it starts with you, man. And I don't know if the the message is getting stale with the players. I obviously I know that the the players are banged up. You know we've had injuries. This is another uh, year of in- injury bug, but it's an inconsistent football team all the way around. It's inconsistent on defense. It's inconsistent on third and long. Jim Schwartz, I don't know what you got guys got going on on third and long with these defensive backs playing uh, third and forever. Uh, they're playing like fifteen yards deep or ten to fifteen yards deep. Uh, I think uh, teams are starting to figure us out, man. And the, the sad part as an Eagle fan is when you're sitting in the at the game watching the game and having that feel like, come on, last last season we went into the season, the, uh, we're watching this team, we felt like we couldn't be stopped. Right. This offense felt unstoppable. But now we're going to games, sitting there in the cold with the doom and gloom. Like, I don't even know if this we can get out of this or, or – or are we going to score points? Or are we going to give up big plays? I mean, we talked about NFC Blake Bortles last week and Dak Prescott. Made him look good. It made him look good. Yeah, made him look like a well, pro well, decent. Uh, but it's it was it was right for the taking, man. And, and we totally dropped the ball. And uh, now we're sitting here with a lot a lot of questions on our hands about this team uh, and who to blame. But it starts with Doug. Absolutely. This was supposed to be a statement game. Mm-hmm. This was supposed to be the game where the Eagles go into the bye 500, right? But after the bye, they kind of figure things out, and the first thing they do is take care of the NFC East or chalk up another win against the NFC East against a, uh, a, an opponent that could potentially win the NFC East, an opponent that you could essentially bury them. People were bringing coffins mm. to the tailgate. <laughs> we could have done that to the Dallas Cowboys. And in some ways, it was a statement game. But not the way that we were hoping. The statement that we put out in front of a national audience is this team is not ready to compete. What did they do well? What did they do well in that game? Did the defensive back, backs play well? Did they stop the run well? No. Did the defensive line play well? Yep, yeah, not against the run. Did the offensive pl- line play well? No. People were in Carson's face all day long. Did the running was a play? What did you do well? What sort of statement did you make? What sort of identity did you put out there in front of the NFL to let you know that the world champs were, were back on track and ready to move forward? They didn't. And they continue to not do that. I don't want to be doom and gloom and everything, but I'm recalibrating my expectations. Because at what point during that game 
when they tied the game, did anybody in this room feel confident that they were going to win it? When they tied it the first time, was anybody in this room confident that they were going to pull this one out? When they tied it the second time, was anybody in this room confident that they were going to pull it out? Next question. And even if they did, even if the Eagles did pull it out and did beat the Dallas Cowboys, were we walking out of that stadium feeling good about ourselves? Yeah, a dub is a dub. It doesn't have to be pretty, but a dub is a dub, and all we got to do is keep churning forward. But did we look good doing it? There was a point in time last year, around the same time as we were this year, where we were steamrolling teams, curb stomping teams, getting off the quick starts, absolutely obliterating it to the point where we had our feet up on the seat in front of us at Lincoln Financial Field, leaning back, just enjoying. We were sick of singing the fight song. We were sick of it. And now they tie the game, and I'm sitting there thinking, they're going to find a way to screw this up. How could they not? They've shown us that before. Hollywood Hearn, take the mic, man. What's going on, fellas? How are you? Welcome to the uh, wake. Uh, yeah. Um, there's there's one thing that is kind of just rattling around the inside of my head, and it's been the fact that, like, we've been expecting this team to turn it around all season long, but I can't help but look back and feel like the writing wasn't on the wall. We talked about after the preseason. They started in the preseason, one and three, and I remember – Coming in before the before the show and being like, if they went zero and four, would they would is it something to worry about with this team? And and of course no, preseason's preseason. But in the back of my mind, I was seeing, you know what, this team isn't performing to the level I saw them perform last year. And now we fast forward to where we're at now. Carson Wentz has played seven games. Carson Wentz's record this year is two and five. That's not the Carson Wentz I know. And I'm not saying that he's the reason that we're losing these games. I'm saying the reason that we're losing these games is that this entire locker room is just not what it was last year. The mentality's that not there. People aren't stepping up. The coaching isn't there. The play calling. What we we used to we used to big balls dug. That that was that was us last year. He was sure. going for, going for it on fourth down all the time. He always had the right play call to call at the right time. Where's that this year? I I I, I have I, no I, idea. What where where is this bend but don't break defense? Dak Prescott picked us apart. That, de- that defense was moving. They were moving through us like a pincushion. The Dallas Cowboys. Dak, Dakota Rain Prescott was the guy who looked like Joe Montana at the link. Yeah. Explain that. And, and we, we talked about the, how, how one-dimensional the Cowboys are. How all you got to do is stop Zeke. And the strongest thing we got going on is our run defense. Yeah. Well, we don't have any strong suits right oh, now. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't think we have any strengths. Stop, I don't see any. Zeke. None. That, none that show up consistently every week. We don't have one consistent unit that shows up every single week this year. No, not at all. And, and that and that's and that speaks to like an identity. That's that speaks to what you were talking about. A message. So okay, let, let let's dive into it. The the, the whole concept behind the new norm, because the whole concept behind the new norm was not necessarily winning championships. Mm-hmm. The concept behind the new norm was the mentality and the preparation and the hard work that it takes in order to win said championship. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to the Brandon Graham show on WIP yesterday, and he's talking about breaking it down to getting back to fundamentals, tackling, form tackling, break it down to fundamentals. I mean, if spoiler alert, if it's week nine and you're talking about fundamentals, especially when it comes to tackling, <laughs> things aren't going well. Yeah, you're way behind. 
And last year, the message was that underdog mentality after the Super Bowl was the new norm and the preparation that it takes to win a championship. Going into the season was, what was it, embrace the target. Embrace the target. And then Doug's trying to say, hey, pressure's off of us. Mm -hmm. Nothing message-wise coming from the coaching staff I can see being implemented on the field. I'm not seeing a lot of drive. I'm not seeing a lot of desire. And Doug Peterson, even in his press conference, is talking about, you know, looking at, I'm sick and tired of hearing about the man in the mirror. We could play that song through this in every single press conference that they're doing about. But they're talking about, like, self-reflection at this point in the season. Go ahead and play that. Well, one of the things we had success later in the season last year was the RPO game. You know, that's, that's and that with the combination of some of the play-action stuff that we did. And, and we had success, and then teams had a whole offseason to study us and and, and that's usually what happens, you know. The, the, you know, whoever ends up winning the game, you know, the Super Bowl this year, teams are going to study that team. And whether it's you know Rams, Saints, us again, Chiefs, whoever it might be, um, you know, uh, teams are going to look at that and say, okay, why were they successful? And then, and then, you know, uh, if there's an aspect of that game, how can we take it away? So in our case, it was the RPO play action. So we've seen some of that this season already. And, and that was about the RPOs, but th- he had this more to say along the lines of looking in the mirror. I have to, I'd have to consider, quite frankly, um, because I, I don't know any other way to do it but to look, at, to look internally. I, am I giving enough as a head football coach? Am I giving enough to the team? Am I, am I giving up, you know, um, am I sacrificing enough in my game planning, in my, my study during the week? You know, I, am I, so i got to look at myself, and that's what I ask the players to do is they got to look and see, are they – getting extra conditioning are they getting extra film study during the week are they are they getting rest at night that all those things are part of part of wins and losses and so that's 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 something that'll never change if you're talking about your players getting extra film study in getting extra preparation extra workouts that is the anti new norm that is the anti new norm this should be an expectation he's putting questions out there too though what's that about uh, are they getting enough sleep Are, are guys out there partying too much but they shouldn't be. I know, boy. He's, that's he's not, saying that, that. That's not the new norm. And getting back to the RPO thing and kind of getting figured out by the league, you know, that's that's not a good sign when your head coach is talking about, hey, when you're the Super Bowl champions, everybody's trying to break down what you do well and either copy it or figure it out. Mm-hmm. Because on Monday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers were breaking out some RPO stuff as well. But defenses, as far as the Eagles concerned, have sort of figured out this offense. And you can look no further than the first quarter stats all year long when it comes to this football team. That's concerning to me that Doug Peterson thinks that just because the run-pass option was so successful last year that he thinks that it's just going to work again this year. Like, he, he's the one that said that uh, when you win the Super Bowl, other teams are going to come and they're going to break down your, your footage and they're going to try and figure you out. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen, but... People like Bill Belichick and other coaches that build dynasties, they get creative and they switch it around, and they're not—they're a different team every year. I mean, you got—you got a different adapt, game plan. You have to adapt to the league, and, exactly. And you, we're talking about you know teams trying to figure us out, and uh, you know like you—you you, you could look at the the amount of targets that Zach Ertz had. What do you had, like 16, sixteen targets, fourteen for sixteen. Yeah. Everyone in the NFL, hello, Doug. Everybody in the NFL and Carson, hello. Everyone knows we're going to Zach Ertz. Yeah. You can look to the second drive of the uh, e- the Eagles drive. Yeah. Who picked him off? Uh, Van Der Es. Yeah. He was just sitting in the pocket waiting because he knew 
if you do your tape, you tape study, you, you know, know where. Going hurt, yeah. And, and, and that we talk about that eye bang with to Zach Ertz. It's happening every game. I want I want to get back to and you touched on the New England Patriots because mm-hmm. that's an interesting concept mm-hmm. because if you look at the New England Patriots and their prolonged success over the last fifteen years, yeah. the offense hasn't always been the same. No, I mean it's been a high powered passing offense with Randy Moss, and then when they got the two tight end sets with you know Gronk and Hernandez, that, that the was whole killer. offense was was. Predicated around those two tight ends, and then when they didn't have that, or, or Gronk was injured, or Hernandez wasn't there, that it, it was a running back by committee drift. So he always, and then when Wes Welker was there, mm-hmm. that you know the offense was kind of surrounded around the slot receiver and stuff like that. So he's adapted his offense to not only the personnel, but self scouted himself to the point where it's hard to get a read on what the New England Patriots are going to do from year to year, mm-hmm. or and, from game to game. Or, or, or even from game to game. And and I want to get back to the first quarter stats because they're troubling. I, I, I looked into it, and I'm as I'm looking at my notes here, I almost have to reread it and recheck it again because to say it out loud is going to be rough. Uh, yeah, Eagles yeah. have been outscored 21-32 to 32 in the first quarter. 14 of those points, 21-32, to 32, 14 of those points came against the Giants, which is the only team... Only time the Eagles had the lead at the end of the first quarter. Eagles are 80 points to 78 points after halftime, have held the lead five out of those nine games going into the half, but two are against the Titans and the Panthers, two games which they choked away the game in the fourth. Going back to the first quarter, if you take away the points that were scored in the first quarter against the lowly New York Giants, the Eagles in eight games have scored seven points in the first quarters. The first 15 plays that you run, you have all week, and last week you had two weeks, to script them. That's supposed to be your best stuff. That's supposed to be the the, the plays that gets the offense into the end zone and sets the tempo for the entire game. You were setting no tempo whatsoever. You were getting outscored. Only once did you have the lead coming out of the first quarter unacceptable unacceptable that comes down to coaching because the execution part you can only i know doug in the press conference was blaming execution 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 sounds like chip kelly almost sounds like chip kelly a little bit doesn't it Mm -hmm. because when you've been figured out you all of a sudden want to start talking about execution when the reality of the situation is in the first quarter the script that you're putting together Ain't getting the job done. So switch it up. If you're talking in the press conference, well, yeah, it kind of looks like they figured out the RPOs. No kidding, dude. Yeah. Switch it up. And then then you start thinking about it. I'm like, the only time that this team shows any sign of life is when they go tempo. Up tempo. Or, you know, they get a first down or a couple runs. They got like a short down to uh, work with. But, I mean, you know, right now they're they're averaging uh, 6.6 points in the second quarter which ranks 17th so right now uh you know in the second and third quarters is where they're you know strong they're 21st uh in the fourth quarter but um overall you if you can't get this if you can't get up on teams in the first quarter it's very troubling and when we're playing a game a team like new orleans saints next week if you get behind it's it's a wrap it's it's Mm -hmm. It's a wrap it's over they're, they're, they're going to put up 21. If, if that's the way you're going to play and you're not going to put any points on the board, 
That means you're going three and outs. You're not scoring. No long, pro, uh, long prolonged drives. And Drew Brees is coming right, back, and that mm-hmm. defense is going to be gassed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you, you bring up Chip Kelly. Remember Chip Kelly's problem: you're three and outs, three and outs, three and outs, mm-hmm. three and outs. Defense gets gassed. We're down. And now all of a sudden you become one-dimensional. And it's happening this season. You're becoming one-dimensional. I mean, it's so easy for even me. I'm a big mm-hmm. proponent of you got to run the ball more. Got to run the ball more. It's tough to run the ball more when you're already down, mm-hmm. when you're getting outscored, when you're already playing from behind. It's hard to have that sort of dedication, at least in the coach's mind, to, to, to run the ball when you're playing catch-up the entire time. And have you guys ever seen a head coach that is so afraid of a thing that is working? Josh Adams was out here breaking off runs for 6.7 yards a clip. He had seven rushes for 47 yards, and he, was the, he, he had the most carries in the game, seven carries. But between him, Corey Clement, and Wendell Smallwood, they had all the 14 carries all game long. I mean, I think it's something that you have to look forward to them you know, trying more of because out of all their backs in the backfield— that's the guy that's gonna has at least some speed to yeah. get you there. So I think you know he did flash that what was a twenty five yard run, right? Um, what is first first carry of the game, right? And so and so, what makes you veer away from that is my question. If you got something that's working like that, why, why? he's got a little Andyitis? That, that that is that is the symptoms of the, the deadly Andyitis. And the Andyitis, I mean, we lived fourteen years of that. Yeah, where the run's working, and all of a sudden for no reason, if it's working. Do it until they stop you. Yeah. Make them stop you. Mm-hmm. But what he'll do is he'll have Josh Adams break off some chunk plays, and then you won't see Josh Adams again. Yeah. What's that all about? Doesn't make any sense. I mean, some of his play calling is, like, baffling. I mean, you got, a, like, a thir- like, a third and one, and you go empty set. What, what, what do you—as an offensive lineman, Yeah. I'm looking at my coach. I'm like, it's third and one, man. We can, if we can't get one yard, right. we don't deserve a first down. Nope. But you, but you're telling you're telling a defense, we are not running the ball here on third and one. I mean, there's just so many, or or calling a screenplay and the play is six yards behind the line of scrimmage when it's third and two. Yeah. I, I I'd, I'd rather have the ball in Carson Wentz's hands when the game is on the line. There's there's situations that you just like what are you, like what kind of plays do you call? Even on the the last play of the game to Zach Ertz, he, mm-hmm. he ran what he he need he didn't get to the. He, he didn't get to the sticks. So what kind of route did you call on that? Like, it's the little things. That it's like, what, what is going on? But specifically talking about that third and one play, you know, that, 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 I'm not sure if they were in the red zone, but I know they were in Dallas Cowboys territory. Right. And they go empty set there. And then they go for it on fourth down. Everybody in that stadium knew what the play call was. And it was the play call that really should have been the play call on third and yes. one. They're running it on fourth and one. But by that time, you've already laid your cards out. I mean, if we in the stands know what's coming, the commentators know what's coming. <laughs> the people watching at home on TV, they know what's coming. Mm-hmm. The, the, Jason Garrett ain't that smart, but he ain't dumb. Oh. He knows. The Dallas Cowboys Know what's coming, and those linebackers, oh, they all the play, they have those percentage. They like, all right, this is what they want to know. They've been studying that for weeks. They know what play is coming. So I mean, you're not fooling anybody, man. And it almost seems like a scrambling. Now it's just a scrambling because he's got his nose dived into the play chart, and he's just. I just feel like he's scrambling to find something that's going to work, to find a spark that's going to work. Almost like when he called the Philly special on the first game of the season. You know, like, all right, hell, we might as well dust off the Philly special. None of this stuff's working. 
But now all of a sudden it gets to like, okay, we, we, we talk about execution. We're, we're, we're really harping on the coaches. But as an individual who didn't necessarily poo-poo um, the departure of Frank Reich and John <laughs> DiFilippo, right? who didn't poo-poo it off, but I, I dismissed it a little bit. Because this was a collaborative effort. There was a lot of offensive minds coming up with that game plan. You take a look at the success that Frank Reich is having in Indianapolis right now, and there's an easy excuse there. Andrew Luck's back, right? You got right. your quarterback back. Right, right, right. And then you take a look at Flip there in the Vikings, and you take a look at the success they're having. And well, it's not Case Keenum. It's Kirk Cousins. He's just a better quarterback. But even me, who kind of dismissed all that stuff, I can no longer... Look past the fact that two offensive minds were in that room that are now not and finding success elsewhere. You look at Frank Wright with the Colts offense. In 2017, granted Andrew Luck wasn't there. That's a big proponent of it. But don't poo-poo it off. The offense was ranked 31 in the NFL. Right now the Colts offense is ranked ninth in yards. Points per game offensively, last year the Colts were ranked 30th. 16.4 points per game. Now they're 6th. At 28.9, close to Far where higher than the, Eagles. the Eagles were last year. Mm-hmm. Even even Flip down in Minnesota, I mean, the, it, it's incrementally better. It's not, it's not a huge number, but it's still incrementally better. You take a look at Doug Peterson's Philadelphia Eagles of 2018. In 2017, they were seventh in offense, 366 yards per game. Now they're 12th. More importantly, you take a look at I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, they were 7th and now they're 13th. More importantly, you take a look at points per game offensively. Last year, 28.6. Uh, really close to what the Colts are putting up now. They were 3rd in the NFL. They're 22nd or 21st in the NFL now with 22 points. Yeah, I mean, DeFilippo and Reich, they, it's been on record that they were parts of the 3rd down offense and the red zone offense. Mm-hmm. And, and they're no longer here. And it's it's pretty obvious right now that that's the missing ingredient. And it's also and it's also obvious in the in the scripted play calling that, that I mean, Philip, I mean, uh, Frank Reich was script one scripting those plays. I mean, the thing that you think about is like, all right, well, okay, well, Doug was calling the plays last year, but the plays that were presented underneath him by the uh, coaches that were in place, you know, they were putting a nice. Uh, you know, Full plate on them, mm-hmm. you know, a nice plate to pick from. But now, can we can we start looking at, uh, you know, Mike Grow and Press Press Taylor? I don't know. As the guys that are bringing the plays to his to attention, like you know, we have to. These are the things that we have to start questioning, right? At this moment, it's it's hard to not. It's hard to look at the success that DiFilippo and Reich are having in their own respective places and look at the lack of success that we're having and not find a correlation there. Yeah. Justin, you got some uh, audio from the Colin Cowherd show. Not that I'm a big fan of his, but he did, but him and Trent Dilfer did speak on it a little bit. You stink! And then segue seamlessly into the Eagles conversation because of Frank Reich. So this is interesting. I think Frank Reich is the secret sauce that saw it all and said, all we got to do is this and that and this, and we'll get this dude, Andrew Luck, playing like Brady and Breeze and Rodgers. So do you believe Frank Reich's departure is part of Carson Wentz's struggle? Absolutely it is. There, I, I was watching and this John game. And John DiFilippo, la- too, is gone as well. Trent, it, I'm watching this game last night, and Philadelphia just 
Wentz is as talented as he's ever been. They're just not there. You know, don't ask me. I was a journeyman. I'm average at best. Go ask Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. Ask Drew Brees if he'd be Drew Brees without Sean Payton. He'd be the first to tell you, hell no. Tom Brady without Billy O'Brien and Josh McDaniels, no way. Aaron Rodgers without watching Favre and then being part of that West Coast McCarthy offense in its early stages, no way. And you almost wonder now if those two departures aren't playing, like like we're seeing it manifest itself in the game plan, which is manifesting itself in the overall scoring in the first quarter, which is manifesting, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete tra- trickle-down effect. And Frank Reich and DeFalute, that's just one layer. Yeah. Another layer is, is just the overall injuries. I mean, the in, if you look at the injuries that the Philadelphia Eagles have accrued during this season, it's not an injury, in, injury report. It's a freaking obituary, a three-page newspaper obituary. Mac Holland still has yet to see the field. Timmy Jernigan still has yet to see the field. Richard Rodgers, who was designated for return, still has yet to see the field. Mike Wallace. IR going into week three. Jay Ajayi was injured reserve going into week six. Derek Barnett, IR going into week eight. Mike Wallace, IR going into week three. Wait, there's more. Ronald Darby, just IR this week. Rodney McLeod, IR going into week four. Alshon Jeffrey missed the first three games. Carson Wentz missed the first two games. Sidney Jones missed the last two games. Darren Sproles missed the last seven games. Corey Clement missed two games. Lane Johnson, I believe, missed the game. Uh, Jason Peters has been in and out of games. Uh, Chris Maragos has missed three games. Jalen Mills missed one game. Not sure when he's going to be back. Corey Gra- I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Can somebody please tell me? What it, the it, it is, is going just on? unbelievable the injury. And Elliot Shore Parks for uh, on ninety four WIP had an interesting article where he uh, he listed out the injuries, kind of comparing them from this year to last year. Yeah. And last year, where it was a next man up mentality, and we were like, man, this. <laughs> This injury report is loaded. We suffered a lot. It pales in comparison to what we're dealing with now. Is that like a coaching thing, like like a training thing? Are they not preparing their bodies in the right way? I, I, I don't have an explanation why the injury bug. It's not an injury bug. It's an injury hive. It's like a swarm of bees just stinging this entire roster. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been questioning that on the timeline so about, about um, you know, the, the reporters the, as the, well, the medical staff, because there there are new pieces in place uh-huh. in that medical staff. Yeah. So you know, like, how are they handling some of these injuries? Uh, if you want to look back, you look at Darren Sproles, a guy who's been dealing with a hamstring injury, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he gets back into practicing and gets hurt. Like, who whose call was that? Who, who who had him go on the field in that situation where the, where, where they could have said, all right, we'll wait, we'll wait one more week on yeah. on him. So you you look at th- those kind of situations, you have to think, all right, uh, and, well, what is it? And Doug Peterson was getting a little bit snippy with reporters when they were asking him. They're like, there seems to be an abundance of soft tissue injuries that are occurring this year, and uh, to which he just replied, well, I'm not a doctor, so. The tension is of this season is obviously getting to him and the coaching staff, and it's permeating into the locker room because there's no confidence. I mean, one of the toughest things. I mean, if you look at the secondary, secondary, and what kind of you know play they were, they were putting up last season. I mean, you have guys that are Rodney McLeod's gone. You, you have your both your 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 first, second, and third string corners are gone now. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully we get Mills back and and uh, you know Jones back, but it, it's. The way that we're watching these cornerbacks, um, their performances on the field have been 
insanely rough. Yeah, man. Yeah, everybody wanted Razul Douglas. You got Razul Douglas. Hey, uh, Mike, you got something on Twitter? Yes, from uh, Johnny on Twitter. He said, I think the league caught into Doug's schemes like the league did with Chip. And he says, the league, he's pretty much like venting over here. He says, it's a league of adjustments, and Pearson is not doing a good enough job just to even change it up. That or he can't put his scheme into action due to lack of personnel with the injuries with the depleted team. How do you guys even feel about that? Like, do you think just since with all these injuries happening, like it was similar to last year, do you think these injuries are like taking a huge toll and just making it like the play calling like really limited at this point? I mean, I mean, I think I mean there, there's a situation where regardless of player who's on the field, some of the play calling has been super off. You know what I mean? I I, th- I thought there's I mean, if you look at the games, we're not losing by much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's the little things between, you know, the uh, scheming and stuff. I think, you know, I, I think that's – I'm more concerned about that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I Chip Kelly got brought up. And every every time Chip Kelly gets brought up, like, I hear his name. Oh, just uh, – Chip Kelly. Okay. I don't think we're in a situation where Doug Peterson is Chip Kelly. No. He's not dismantling the team no, in that Chip way. Chip Kelly was what – like, I want to clarify that so people don't, like, spaz out and think that I'm no, preaching yeah. like Doug Peterson is Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly was a one-trick pony. He wasn't a good coach. He wasn't a people person. He wasn't a locker room guy. He wasn't a player's coach. Bullheaded. He was bullheaded, and it was his way or the highway and never made an adjustment whatsoever and tried to fit – round pegs in the square holes mm-hmm. and it was just terrible. Doug's way more of a player's coach. Wait, Doug Doug has the capability to turn this around. But as a first-time head coach now in his third season, I th- and with success coming early to him mm-hmm. and with some departures of his coaching staff, which inevitably will happen again. I think Deuce Staley is going to get a hard look at as a head coach next year, possibly by Cleveland, maybe. Maybe. But I think he has the ability to turn it around, but it's a hell of a time to have a learning experience when you're trying to defend the championship. Do you guys? Like, this just popped in my head, and let me get your guys' thoughts on it. Do you think that Chip Kelly in his? Uh, I'm sorry, you got you got me all twisted <laughs> around. <laughs> you got, now. I got all uh, Doug Peterson. Do you think Doug Peterson's success last year was? Probably a product of, of Frank Reich and Filippo, but do you think he w- there was a lot of, like you said, he's a first-time head coach, and he was in his second year, he was in the Super Bowl. Do you think there was a part of that was just flying by the seat of his pants and just happened to be picking the right moves versus— I think he had a lot of help. I think it, it truly was a cumulative effort on the part of the Eagles coaching staff in order to formulate game plans— uh, off, specifically offensively. I think mm-hmm. Jim Schwartz had his hand on the defense, mm-hmm. and that, that was his baby. Yeah. But especially on the offensive side of the ball, I really do think that it was a cumulative effect of everybody putting in their input yeah. and a lot of voices in the room to formulate the best game plan. It wasn't a uh, totalitarian sort of situation like maybe a New England Patriots is because Bill Belichick runs that show, Right. Yeah. period. Yeah. It's a dictatorship, but it works, though. And it, but it works because yeah. the man is brilliant. Yeah. Um, Doug needs to find that ability to be able to chant, to learn from what everybody has given him and the first year, not failure, but the first year growth period mm-hmm. and the second year phenomenal success and the third year coming back down to reality. He needs to surround himself with people who are going to help him in, as far as input goes mm-hmm. into the game plan. If, if there was one positive thing, one positive stat that I saw out of all this was – about uh, the New England Patriots and the beginning of their first dynasty run in the in the uh, early 2000s, the year after they won their first Super Bowl, you know what they did? 
Well, nine and seven, right? Yeah. Missed the playoffs. Missed the playoffs. Didn't even make the playoffs. Then they ended up winning the Super Bowl the following two years. Yeah, I mean the, the 49ers, when they won the first the Super Bowl with Montana yeah. the so next year, they missed the playoffs. There, as well. there, is, there is some truth to the Super Bowl hangover, but yeah. I, it, I feel like this year it's more than just a hangover. It's 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 just a lack of knowing what to do as far as the coaching staff. Yeah, I, I know Coach Peterson talked about there was a there's an article that was written by Peter King right around the Super Bowl time, and he was talking about uh, what he was talking about how he had the dynamic with the coaches, and it was almost kind of like a. A ritual that, that that they had, like him and Reich, and it was like almost like it was they had a good time being around each other. It wasn't right. like oh, I got to do this meeting at five o'clock in the morning. No, they're they're up. They're like, yeah, man. They had their inside jokes. They had a good time, and everyone put their own little uh, seasoning mm-hmm. of the play call, and he, and, he brought, and he welcomed it. You know, and I, I feel like when you're replacing two guys. Uh, that were know, a major piece. Yeah. A major piece of you know. You, when we talked about it last week about you know how they blocked the Filippo from going to the Jets, mm-hmm. and obviously they know what kind of piece of the puzzle that he brought to the table and how valuable he was. So, uh, it, you know, Doug's he's gonna have to put, put his big boy pants on. I'm gonna make it. Forward. I'm gonna make a comparison and just follow me along on this one. Take me on your journey. I will take you on my journey. Doug Peterson is the Alex Smith of head coaches. Go he's, on. He's a game manager. He doesn't do one thing incredibly well. He does a lot of things that are good. But he needs to be surrounded by the right pieces in order for the offense to have success. He needs to, be, he needs to put his guys in the right position in order to make the offense <laughs> effective. Solely, Alex Smith is not going to put the game on his back and win you a game just because he's the quarterback. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Tom Brady, he's not Peyton Manning, and he sure as hell isn't Drew Brees. Where you are going to win games because that is your quarterback. Doug Peterson is a good game manager, is a great mind, but he needs other pieces around him to make that work. And I feel like right now the pieces around him aren't necessarily there to tell Alex Smith, i.e. Doug Peterson, how to make this offense go. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Uh-huh. I'd say Alex Smith on steroids. Alex Smith on steroids. With the aggressiveness. Uh, okay. Because he, he's a little – Doug Peterson besides that is aggressive. Yeah. Now well, it's, wait, now, now, confident. Now it's coming off weird. His aggressiveness is coming off a little weird. It's mistimed. Because it's, it's, it, it's mistimed. Aggressiveness in the name of desperation comes off as, as desperation. You know what yeah. I mean? Aggressiveness when you're confident comes off completely different. That, that, that's, that's when you're laying it out on the table. You know, when, when you're just being aggressive for the sake of hopefully creating a spark and maybe this is going to work, I guess we ought to try it, that's, that, that's desperate. And that's, and that's what Doug Peterson is kind of coming off to me right yeah. now. As far as, like, let, let's, let's move on, touch on the Saints real quick, because right now the Saints are giving the Eagles eight and a half points. Eight and a half points. 56% of the action is going to the Saints. The over-under is 54.5, with 76% of the action going on the over. Oddshark.com has the predicted score of the Saints 36 and Eagles 17. In order to avoid that score and for the Eagles to win and avoid going 4-6 and six and digging themselves deeper into a hole, what do they, what, what do they need to do in order to find any sort of success down there in New Orleans against the NFC's number two seed. Uh, first and foremost, they got to get up in the first quarter. Yes. They got to score points. 
defensively, uh, you know, you know, we've we've played def- uh, we've played really good defense against Drew Brees in the past. You know, you collapse that pocket and get to him. Um, that's that's where Fletcher Cox made his money. You know, like pressuring the a gap, getting that pressure on him, getting Drew Brees off his uh, his mark, making him move. That's where you win. Um, but you know, you have Michael Thomas. Who is going to cover Michael Thomas? Who's going to cover Alvin Kamara? You know, this defense. Uh, our linebackers have had issues covering li- uh, running backs in the flats, and Alvin Kamara is a all star in the flats and in, in space. Um, but you're going to have to play sound defense, uh, control the clock, get a, a somewhat of a running game. Because the Saints' defense, you know, is is, is not – I'm going to say Dallas' defense is better than the Saints' defense. Well, the, 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 the careful – the thing you got to be careful as far as the Saints' defense goes is they – whenever you're talking about a high-scoring, high-powered, put points on the board in bulk offense, your defense will always struggle. And by struggle, I don't mean that they're a bad defense. You just got to understand, like, they're, the opposing offense is now playing catch-up to you, so they will always be right. slinging the rock on you. There's a reason why the Saints' rush defense right now is number one in the league. I don't think they're the number one rush defense. It's just that the opponent will abandon the run because they are playing catch-up. And I don't think that the Saints' pass defense is as bad as 31st in the league. You just got to understand. And it happened a lot with the Eagles. I mean, you take a look at the Eagles' offense and the points per game they were putting up last year. Take a look at the pass defense. It wasn't that the pass defense was bad. It was just that everybody was trying to play catch-up, so they're constantly slinging the rock on you. And they, have the, and, and, and they had a very good rushing defense because the opponent would abandon the run. So it's always careful when, it, when we talk about a team's defense who has a high-powered offense because the stats will sometimes lie to you a, a, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think they're they're they're. I think the the Cowboys pass rush, you know, Demarcus Lawrence was yeah, a, yeah, was I mean, a nightmare. Yeah. You don't have one of those, uh, but you know they, they really got to get up. They got to put some points on the board. And then the weirdest thing is like you you think about the situation that we're in. You you look back to, you know, it reminds me of like when we were playing the Patriots and we had no freaking chance mm. by any anyone. Nobody was giving us a shot to win. We were fifty three angry men. They gave the t shirts out. Uh, I want this team to be 53 prideful men. Have have pride. Show pride uh, in what you're doing out there on the field. If you just do that, you play your game and do it and make us proud. Uh, I mean, in the beginning of the season, we were talking about nothing above the repeat. Yeah. We've downgraded. Then we downgraded to nothing above, <laughs> above, the, above the NFC East. Now we're like nothing above the embarrassment. Yeah. You know, like we're at a stage where we're like, okay. Uh, the mighty have fallen. Ha- have some pride in what you guys are doing, gentlemen. That's all we're asking. And it was to make us proud, uh, just seeing you guys play football that we know that you can play. In order to beat the New Orleans Saints, the Eagles are not only going to have to do what they do well, but they're going to have to do what they don't do well a hell of a lot better. Because mm-hmm. touching on that new – we like to make that New England uh, Patriots game up there in Foxborough, the comparison to what we're facing down in New Orleans. But remember how we won that game. We won that game on turnovers. You know, right now the turnover differential, we're 24th in the league. We're minus six. Mm. Special teams. 
They got big plays out of special teams. I believe they ran one back on a, on a, on a punt return. Mm, yeah, you need, yeah, you, you need your special teams to make a play for you. Mm-hmm. You need your defense to create turnovers to get the offense back on the field. You need your run game, which right now is suffering, to be effective because you need to chew up as much clock as humanly possible to keep Drew Brees off the field. He can't hurt you if he's on the sidelines sitting on his helmet, going over his, his, his Microsoft Surface and running over you know different looks and stuff like that. If he's on the sideline, he can't hurt you. Everything that the Eagles have done poorly this year, they not even, not even only need to do it well, they need to do it exceptional. Special teams turnovers, pressure up the middle. Again, the Eagles don't necessarily struggle with mobile quarterbacks who can run the ball. They struggle with quarterbacks who can, A, push, move up in the pocket, pass the wide nine rush, and also move horizontally. That's what Drew Brees is. He has an exceptional talent in moving around in the pocket, extending a play, and keeping his eyes down the field to see the receivers. If you can collapse the pocket like you said, Gail, get in his face, because he's a man of short stature, trust mm-hmm. me, takes one to no one, and get in his face, disrupt the timing by jamming up the receivers, which you don't do well. Everything that the Eagles don't do well, you got to pick it up. You got to prove that once again you can do it well in in this game. And if you do that, if you get plays on special teams and you create turnovers and you're getting touchdowns on defense, and like Jim Schwartz was talking about in his press conference today, putting the offense in position to win and or helping the offense by scoring a couple points themselves, they might win the game. And if they win the game, we're back to 500. We have we have the opportunity to maybe go on a run here, but again. I'm recalibrating my expectations on what's going to happen for the remainder of the season. Don't hold your breath, boys and girls. Let's take it to four downs with uh, with Hollywood Hearn. Now we take you four downs with Hollywood Hearn. What's going on, gentlemen? Uh, yeah. I'll try and get your mind off of uh, what we've been talking about these uh, this whole show. It's been ugly. So first down. First things first. Uh, what? Does the NFC, the rest of the NFC East have that we do not? I'll answer the question for you. The answer is a bell cow running back. The, the uh, Cowboys have Zeke, Giants have Saquon, and now Washington just s- stepped in crap and ended up with a Hall of Fame running back and Adrian Peterson with plenty left in the tank this year. Um, they all have a good, solid ground game, but... The Eagles don't. Where do? How do you think that a bell cow running back makes a difference for a football team? Well, especially when it comes to the run pass option. If and we talked about it in an earlier episode, and Barrett Brooks pointed it out. Uh, if the defense is dictating your option in the run pass option and daring you to throw it, that takes away from it. If the defense does not respect play action. That, that, that's with one hand tied behind your back mm-hmm. as an offense. When you take a look at a Saquon Barkley, granted, the Giants are having, having success. They're having their own problems. Yeah. But that kid's going to be something special for years to come. For sure. When you take a look at Zeke Elliott, when you take a look at Adrian Peterson, who has, who has had at this late of an, of an age an amazing resurgence in his career, you always have to respect the run game when it comes to those teams. Right now is Josh Adams... Corey Clement, who I think is still hampered by injury, and Wendell Smallwood striking fear 
and opponents to the point where they have to respect it and they can stop double-teaming Zach Ertz and stop, stop daring Carson Wentz to eyeball his receivers and throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, right now we're, pl- we're running uh, meh pass options. Because, I mean, <laughs> nobody <laughs> is respecting our run game. Uh, obviously, uh, having a, a consistent threat out of the backfield uh, does wonders. You, you, you say put Saquon Barkley in an Eagles offense to, you know, like he's, he's a threat in the passing game, a threat in the running game, and can break one at any time in the game for a touchdown. There's, there's having that kind of element pushes, uh, you know, it, it brings down the safeties to respect the run. Yeah. Now it opens up the back it end. It opens up everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's, it's imperative to have a guy that can um, make a play on his own mm-hmm. without blocking, without said blocking. Excellent. Good question. Second down. So, a guy that a lot of us that we've talked about believe could make a difference. Uh, one Mr. Le'Veon Bell will not be playing this season after not reporting to uh, the Steelers practice today. Where do you guys believe he ends up next year, and for what price do you think he ends up getting paid? Because you have to factor in the fact of the poor teammate uh, discount he's going to have to uh, put into his contract. I mean... Not showing up. I feel like that damages your uh, stock a little bit, correct? Well, for all, for all the defenders of, 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 of what he's done so far, and I certainly understand where he's coming from, but if you think that's going to drive the price up in free agency, the fact that you were willing to because you felt you outplayed your contract to sit out a full year and do that to the team and the organization that signed you to said contract and lose out on what, $14 million? Mm-hmm. If you think that's making your price tag go up, it's not. Secondly, if you take a look at the success the Steelers have had, despite the fact that Le'Veon Bell has been sitting out and this has been an entire distraction and have been able to move the ball and win games with James Conner, the fact that they didn't necessarily need Le'Veon Bell, if you think that that's driving the price up for you in free agency, it's not. <laughs> so I'm very curious to see... What team's going to – he's going to find a job. For sure. And he's going to be paid handsomely. I don't know if he's going to get Todd Gurley money. I don't – but he sounds like he's asking for, like, quarterback money. And, bro, you ain't a quarterback. You left your team in the dust, and they found success without you. How do you expect that to play into the next contract that you're getting? I I mean, I think from a player's perspective, I think, you know, like him risking his his body and his livelihood – on uh, you know, what fourteen mil? What they're gonna pay him? Right. Uh, he he's thinking like, I'm looking for the forty million payout. You know, when people are like, oh, he lost all this money. Well, he's you know he he's gonna make it back. He, he had a player on, on the defense side of, side of the ball who's not ever gonna play football again, and he knows that this is his last opportunity. Could be his last opportunity to make sure the uh, the Bell uh, you know families and families after him. I have money. So I it, him holding out to get that contract, I get it. I think it was the way it was handled, you know, it was kind of weird. But, you know, if you're thinking about teams that would probably want to pay him next year, they'd have to have a hefty amount of cap, cap space, maybe the San Francisco 49ers. And you know me, I am the uh, NFL Illuminati theorist. I am the doomsday prepper when it comes to the CBA. Add this log on the fire that's going to be the 2021 CBA because this whole franchise, that what Le'Veon Bell just did is unprecedented. Yeah. Decided I'm more, you know, and rightfully so. I get what you're saying, yeah. Gail, but, but, but my financial future 
is more important than playing on the field for your product and your team right now. So this entire franchise tag and the way it's gone about, and, and, and if you don't think this is going to be now another discussion at the bargaining table when it comes to the NFL and the Players Association, oh, th- th- this is just... It's going to be a long just, meeting, oh, man. It's going to be a long... Expect a lockout. I mean, in the, in the, at the end of the day, it's, it's a business, and it, it's even trickling down to colleges now. Like mm-hmm. The top prospects that are top 10 picks aren't playing in bowl games because... Their life is on the line here. Well, I mean, their, their football life is on the lot, line here. So everybody is getting business savvy. Everybody is getting You know what? The NFL is so concerned yeah. about the almighty dollar, hmm. right, that now the players are concerned about the almighty dollar. And the almighty dollar is the root of all evil. Always. So when you see these two sides pair up, they're done. By the way, totally, totally off topic. Did you see the Fortnite skins? Oh, yeah. yeah. What are your uh, thoughts? Uh, okay, before I give you my thoughts, w- because I don't want to sound like the old man yelling at the cloud right now, w- what did you guys think about that? You I, guys talk about it first. To, I got my to touch on exactly what you just talked about, money being the root of all evil, that's all it is. It's a money grab. Fortnite wants to get their beak, beak wet in the situation because they'll be able to sell, they'll be able to sell those uh, jerseys to individual players and then like on in the game and then NFL is looking for the contracts from uh from Epic Games who owns Fortnite. So I think it's just one hand washing the other. I mean from a from a money perspective, the NFL doesn't do anything unless they know they're gonna get uh mad money. Right. And this is in a situation where uh they know all these kids love football and it's a big big sport. It's it's they're gonna buy these outfits and it's just a new I I you know it's it's crazy I think it's I think it's good for the NFL mm-hmm. uh, but I heard the Patriots character comes with a built-in camera <laughs> nice Justin I mean of course it's a, it's a money grab they have a hundred million people that play that game every month and I mean I bought the skins for it so which one are you rocking I'm rocking the number seven Eagles from Michael Vick. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> Listen, it, it it absolutely one hundred percent. The the big one that everybody's wearing right now is the is the, the Dez eighty eight for the Saints. Really? really? Is, yeah. that, is that the hot thing? Does that's, he walk with a limp? That's the hot one right now. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Or the uh, <laughs> or the red uh, seven for Kaepernick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see a lot. That's interesting. I, yeah. You know, you see you see the pictures online, and one one hundred percent is a money grab. If there's money to be made. The NFL will go after it. Mm-hmm. I just find I that couldn't it, buy it fast enough when I saw it. To be I just find it a little hypocritical. I find that a little hypocritical that the NFL will stand on their high horse and talk about how players protesting the national anthem, no matter what side of it you're on. This isn't whether right, whether it's right, right, or right, right, right. But nevertheless, they will stand on their high horse mm-hmm. and talk about and 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 try to put rules into place because it is affecting the bottom line. Yeah. Yet, and uh, gamers, don't think I'm coming after you. I don't think first-person shooter games plays any sort of role in any sort of mass shooting. Like, like first-person shooter games don't contribute to these shootings. The, violence, Gu- yeah. the, the guns contribute to it, but that's a whole different topic for another situation. The image of, and albeit it's kind of like Super Mario Brothers meets like, you know, it's cartoony. It's, it's animated. It's, it's, yeah. it's cartoony. But the image of an NFL player holding a gun. That, that I'm sorry, that's yeah. not a good look. Yeah. 
especially with everything that's happening in Pittsburgh and in California and in Florida and Las Vegas, really everywhere. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have NFL players holding yeah. guns. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, someone in the, their camp, NFL's camp has brought that to your attention, mm-hmm. but then they probably put a magnifying glass on the amount of money right. they're going to rake in before they get the backlash. They're, if that said backlash comes. They've already raked in that money. They're very, yeah, they've, yeah, they've already got they're it. very selective on the stances they want to make, and if there's they're a stand, very selective on the stances they want to make. And if there if there's money to be made, then it really doesn't matter what the stance is. That, that's the bottom Illuminati. line. It's yeah. the NFL Illuminati. I'm telling you. What what do we got? So we went on a little tangent there. All right, sorry. Third what are we down. No, we're all, all good. I'm good. Third down. All Third right, down. So uh, apparently. Mexico City lucked out this year. Well, they did originally when the schedule was set because these guys, I don't I don't want to bring out the swear jar, um, had the greatest matchup of the season with the Rams and the Chiefs going on wow. down in Mexico City. That was going to be Monday this Monday night. However, due to a Shakira concert and heavy rain, the field is just looking atrocious right now. So they had to move the game to the L.A. Coliseum. First of all, what's your thoughts on games played out of country, and do you think that it, it was necessary to move the game? Yeah, 100% it's necessary. If the, if the playing, and trust me, as somebody who went to a preseason game at Veteran Stadium for the Baltimore Ravens and the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. and they decided that the turf was not suited well enough and was a, a danger to player safety where they might get their foot stuck in a seam and decide to just call off the entire game. Yeah. It's all about player safety. I, it, it's a delicate balance. I, I'm for the international games, and I'm also against the international games. I'm for the international games because I like to see the NFL fans overseas in, in the U.K. and occasionally in Mexico They've be got able to televisions. see— yeah, but occasionally be able to see the live thing, and I get it from a marketing. Again, the almighty dollar comes into play. The marketing standpoint of what the NFL is trying to do and expand their global view right. of their particular sport, which, by the way, they have a monopoly on, NFL Illuminati. But <laughs> you have to rely on the fact that that stadium is going to— you cannot put yourself in a position where player safety now becomes an issue where you're at a stadium that doesn't have the proper facility management to be able to either resod something in, in, in a hurry or the people within the league that take a look at the event calendar and know full right and well that, hey, there's a Shakira. And I don't know if there's I hope you guys enjoyed that Shakira concert. Yeah, <laughs> because it, it cost you. Yeah. It cost you. Did you guys see pictures of the field, by the oh, it's, way? It's atrocious. It, 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 it's disgusting. It looked like in front of the Art Museum steps on uh, February 9th. Yeah, after the yeah. parade? Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just it terrible. It looked awful. I, I, I'm a little torn between, uh, I mean, I do, you know, I think international fans should get an opportunity to see games. Mm-hmm. But from a standpoint, I, I, I'd rather watch some of these games at home. Mm-hmm. Like, for us. Like, for, like, well, like the fact watching, that- watching the... the the what was it? The Jags and the Eagles game right. at like ten o'clock in the morning. And there's also a team that's losing a home game. Right. Uh, I mean, you, it just has to factor in. Yeah. Um, for the average NFL diehard, you know, like, but it is what it is. They, um, I'm up for change. They experimented with a couple games. I think it was Buffalo Bills home games where the games were in Toronto, and I don't know if they just didn't get enough of a draw from it. Mm-hmm. But why don't, like, why are we trying to go across the pond or down south? Why aren't we trying to tap into that Canadian market? Why isn't there games in Canada? They're all domes. They're all covered covered buildings. They're all kept in meticulous 
fashion. Do you think? Do you think it has something to do with the fact that the CFL is kind of already like an established thing? And I know there, for a there, fact there up in Canada, tribally... like the CFL, like they don't even care. Yeah. They don't. You say Canadians don't care about the CFL? Is what you're saying? They watch more NFL than they do CFL. Well, I know they used to do um, what uh, uh, J- J- Japan. Uh, they had some football games over there, mm-hmm. um, preseason games and stuff. I think move it somewhere else. You yeah. know, they've done Mexico, they've done London. Bring it to bring it other places. And for all the talks of like moving, possibly moving a team over to London, like the logistical nightmare the of that. The headache of that. Uh, is that it's terrible. Like, oh, okay, you're gonna have the London Jaguars then travel over to L.A. Oh, yeah, that's halfway around the, the, the world one- at that point. Go ahead, Justin. Now, what they would if they moved a team to London, what they would do is they would have them play their eight games on the road in the United States, all road games, and then play eight straight games at home. So if the that's, London, but that's terrible. Now, now I mean, they, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. But it, it, they wouldn't. It's not like they'd be traveling back to London after every game. They'd play eight games in the states, eight games at home in London. The the MLB. Toronto Blue Jays, once upon a time, the Montreal Expos. The NBA, the Toronto Raptors. The NHL, I mean, it's hockey, it's, it, it's Canada. NFL is the only one of the major four sports that does not have a Canadian presence. Curious, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it is. Isn't a little curious? Yeah. yeah. Our brothers to the north. Our brothers to the north. I, I don't know why. CFL. No, they ain't that into it. They ain't that into it. They ain't that into it. Go ahead, fourth down. We're running late. Yes. So, boys, I'll keep this quick. Pro Bowl voting is officially open. What Eagles are receiving votes? Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Fletcher Cox. Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz for sure. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is going to get a nod. Um, (laughs) Anybody else? Anybody else come to mind? Maybe uh, Brandon Brooks. Brandon, Bro- Brandon yeah, Brooks maybe. has been playing well. Yeah. Maybe the interior offensive lineman, uh, Kelsey. you know, Kelsey. But, uh, you know, the Pro Bowl is kind of a joke anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but but I, if anything, those would be the players that I would get, I would kind of expect to see there. Sound good? Like it. All right, dude, let's wrap it up. Right now, the uh, 4th and John shop on Wildfire is on sale. $14 t-shirts, yes, 30% sir. off of everything else. All that money goes to help uh, production costs here, and uh, you know, buy some beer at the tailgates and pay pay for parking, and uh, you know, all that stuff. Hopefully, we come out of New Orleans with a W. Again, I'm resetting my expectations. He said, hopefully. Hopefully. Oh. <laughs> on the season. Hopefully, I, I I come into this studio screaming next week. The intro, please God. E A G L E S Eagles. Eagles football? We're talking Eagles football. You're listening to Fourth and John. Wait, what the f is a John anyway? But they are who we thought they were. Ay, ay, ay. Can somebody please tell me what the f is going on? You stink. It doesn't matter. Finish him. No! 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 I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore!